Anyone need mercy this morning? <laughs> Amen. It's something that we talk about. It's something we sing about. And yet, I think until we see him face to face, we are not going to understand the full nature of his mercy towards us. Amen. Would you turn to the book of James for those that are visiting or those that are new? We've been traveling through the book of James. This morning we're at chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. And I know what the bulletin says in the front, but I'm going to change the name of the title. How's that? Am I allowed to do that? Yeah. We're going to talk about how to live life wisely. Okay? We're going to take two weeks to look at this. And as James has said, it's really just time to grow up, isn't it? So before we look into the message, why don't we just look to him because he tells us to ask for wisdom when we need it. And I don't know about you, but I know I need wisdom. So pray with me. Father God, we're here this morning and uh, we bring a collection of life here. A collection of experiences this past week and past month and past years. And as we look to the future, we want to make sure that you are in there. We want to be wise, and we realize that if we're going to be wise, we have to keep you at center. And so much of our world tells us that we should look at other forms of knowledge and other methods and other mechanisms. So I pray that by your spirit this morning, you teach us through your word, that you teach us something about wisdom. And I pray that as we get that into our heads and it moves into our hearts, but also moves into our lives, that we begin practicing what wisdom actually means. I thank you for those that are here this morning. I thank you for those that are watching online that could not be here, but have tuned in. I think of those that are in other countries watching this morning, that you would bless them as well and, and help them in their circumstance and situation to live life wisely. We pray these things, and everyone said, amen. I'm going to teach you a new word this morning. It's the word praxis. Um, praxis, the theology of practice is pretty simple. It's what they call the integration of knowledge with actions. Now, you've heard that before, haven't you? <laughs> Faith without works is what? Dead. It's useless. It's no good. Today we have this fancy word praxis that somehow we think we made up. And yet scripture talks about this constantly. That if you know something, how is that displayed then in your life, in the midst of your circumstances, present day and future? Praxis is taking what we claim we believe and aligning it ourselves with those stated beliefs. So James has been talking about this. And he says it's time for Christ followers to practice their Christ-likeness. That's why he says, choose joy when you face trials and temptations. That's why he says you don't show partiality to people. Because everyone was created in the image of God. And that is where they perceive their value from. It's why he says you need a Christ-like tongue. <laughs> It's how we say it, it's what we say, it's why we say it, and at times it's what we do not say. And so now he comes to the subject of wisdom, and it's not the first time. 
In James chapter 1, verse 5, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let me ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, no partiality there, and it will be given to him. Of course, the problem is when we ask God for wisdom, it's usually not what we want to hear. And so we either kind of tune him out or we alter it, we change it. And so we really don't pursue wisdom, we pursue ourselves. So the next two weeks, we're going to look at verses 13 through 18. This week, primarily verse 13, but I want to read all six verses and then spend time in verse 13. So James chapter 3, verse 13 through 18. James writes, who is wise and understanding among you? Great question. By his good contact, conduct, let him show his works in the meekness. The word meekness is the word humility. So humility and wisdom go hand in hand in the humility of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast or be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceful, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is shown in peace by those who make peace. So next week, we're going to get into that whole contrast. And of course, by our conduct, we can find out whether or not we're really wise. So this morning, I want to look at the concept of wisdom. James chapter 3, verse 13, the concept of wisdom. I mean, what is it? I mean, James writes again, who is wise and understanding among you? Question mark. He's asking that question because obviously they had issues. And we've been looking at those issues. And he's been addressing these issues about people in the church that are not wise. Remember in James chapter 1, he said, there's some of you that are double-minded. What that means is they change their minds like they change their clothing. Depends who's there, depends what's there, depends the circumstances. He talked about faith and works and the relation that exists. And he says that some claimed they believed in Christ, but there was not fruit. There was no evidence. He talked about how this shows up in our tongue, in our word, in our speech. He says some praise God on Sunday, then curse people made in the image of God on Monday. Now today we might say some don't even make it to the parking lot. <laughs> They start cursing the preacher, the Sunday school teacher, the choir director, whoever. They don't like that morning. Now, let's be clear about that. He's not talking about disagreeing with someone. He's talking about destroying someone. So here's the issue. When you think about the concept of wisdom, here's what he says. And look at the verse again. By his good conduct, back up the one verse for a second. By his good conduct, let him show his works. So here's the principle. Wisdom is shown by what we do. Wise deeds are a proof that wisdom exists in our heads. Wisdom is shown by what we do. Faith and works, if they're not joined together, are useless. They're dead. So when you think about the concept of wisdom, then you have to ask, well, what's the definition? What is it? 
Now, before I go there, I want to look at wisdom literature for a moment. That's found in the Old Testament, like the Psalms, the Proverbs, the book of Job, Song of Solomon. And what we find out is, however you want to define it, there's some basic principles we have to get. Here's the first. Proverbs says, get wisdom first. Get wisdom first. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 5 through 6. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget. Do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her. That's wisdom. She will keep you. Love her. She will guard you. Do you see the imagery here? We have to get wisdom first. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. He repeats himself over and over and over again in the book of Proverbs. Prize her highly. She will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. I mean, what a beautiful picture here that, first of all, it's supposed to be in our value structure. That we seek it, we embrace it, we hang on to it, we cling to it. Some people might say we wrestle with it because, you know, when you're in a a conflict and you're grappling with someone, you're wrestling, you're embracing them. But the first principle is, listen, in the orders of life, this should be a priority. Get wisdom first. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 through 22. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. Let me translate that word cries. You could sit there and say, wisdom is screaming aloud in the street. In the marketplaces, she raises her voice. Now, why do we scream? Usually because there's so much noise around us, nobody's listening. How many parents, when their kids don't listen, start what? Screaming. (laughs) Because they didn't listen the first time. Every time they don't listen, the volume goes up, right? So here's this picture that the author's writing saying, listen. Out in the streets, there's a lot of noise. And wisdom is screaming over top of all this noise. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. And then he says, how long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? Now, the word simple kind of means foolish, ignorant. There's no understanding. They don't get it. How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing? In other words, people kind of scoff at things and they don't know what they're talking about and they just kind of brag about it. And fools hate knowledge. Here's what this means. You can go to college and get an education, but you cannot go to college and get wisdom. Solomon says in this passage, this is a loose translation. He says, there are many educated fools. Part of me says I should send these verses down to Washington, D.C., but we're not going there. He says a lot of people have book sense. They read a lot of books, but they lack wisdom. For many people, he says, common sense is nowhere in the neighborhood. (laughs) So get wisdom first. That's the first principle. Here's the second. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And this is said over and over and over again in Proverbs and in the Psalms. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. 
Now, if you need a translation of this, you shouldn't. It means this. If you're ever going to get wise, you have to begin with God. Now, the word fear, what does that mean? Let me give three words to help clarify what fear is in the Hebrew language. Here they are. All. Say all with me. All. All. Say respect. Respect. Say reverence. reverence. All in who God is. Appreciation for that. His majesty, his glory, his magnificence. I think in America today, we get more all over things that we do than we do things that God has done and is doing and will do. Respect, when you respect someone, you do what? You listen to them. (laughs) You appreciate them. When you revere someone, you realize that he is infinite and we are finite. That simply means he is just so expansive and so amazing and we are limited. And it means that basically we can only see one foot in front of us. I don't know if you ever hiked before. I used to do a lot of backpacking and some mornings you wake up and the fog was that thick, you could not see more than a step or two in front of you. And it's a great illustration of life. There's so much we cannot see. There's a bigger story. It's why we have faith. Another word for faith is trust. Because we know that God brings everything into completeness. So get wisdom first. And if you get wisdom, you have to understand God has to be in play. But we need to ask this question. Why is wisdom so important? And it's an important question. I think we're confused about why wisdom exists and why it's necessary. I think a lot of people think wisdom is about me. And of course, when we say me, we think, well, you know, if I'm really wise, I'm going to make a lot of money. Or if I'm really wise, I'm going to know how to get rid of my pain. If I'm really wise, and it kind of looks at, well, life is going to be really good for me if I'm wise. Now, if you think that way, I want to ask you the question, what Christ are you following? (laughs) What Bible are you reading? Jesus was the only person perfect in his wisdom. As a result, because I hear people say all the time, well, wisdom will get me fairness. Life will be fair if I'm really wise. But with Jesus, was it fair that he was whipped, mocked, beaten, lied about, lied to, betrayed? They drove stakes through his wrists and heels. He was spit on, called names, laughed at. I mean, that wasn't fair, was it? And yet Christ created this bridge through wisdom for us to know him and for us to be forgiven of our sins. And for us to be remade and transformed into his image. We sang about that and we sang about mercy. But here's why wisdom is so important. Wisdom is a roadmap for spiritual maturity. It's a roadmap for spiritual maturity. Now, I know so often we say I need to be wise because I have to get away from something. It might be addiction. It might be a job. It might be a relationship. And while that is true, we need wisdom to get away from, there always has to be a destination to. Because if you don't know where you're going, you will never get away from where you've been. 
You have to know where you're going. So James, he's saying, listen, it's time to grow up. And if you want to grow up, wisdom will lay out a roadmap on how you get there. So you have to define wisdom. What is it? So far, we said that wisdom is shown by what we do. However you want to define it, you got to get it first. However you want to define it, God's the beginning of wisdom, the fear of God. But I came across this definition, and I'll expand upon it. But here it is. Wisdom is the ability to take God's truth and apply it to daily life. Now, let me break that down. Truth. Many different claims in the name of biblical truth exist. And I think we get confused about what is true and what's not. I'm going to show my age here, but growing up in the church, I still remember one of the major issues in the church of my day was women wearing makeup. I know. I'm preaching a sensitive issue here right now. Billy Graham Association was under fire for allowing women who were part of his ministry to wear makeup. And there's this big controversy that was being condemned and, and really were they following Jesus correctly? Now, many of you probably don't even know who Chuck Swindoll is. But he was kind of a cutting edge preacher back in his day. And in the midst of the controversy, he decided to address it at his church. And of course, Chuck has great sense of humor. And the title of the sermon when he's addressing it was this. If the barn needs paint, then paint it. (laughs) I saw a brave man say amen there. I don't know about that. He might not be walking by the time he gets to the car. Now, we sit back and we laugh at that. And we say, how could that be? But every generation does this. We confuse biblical truth, God's truth, with convictions. Now, I say that because we need convictions. We need to take God's truth and say, listen, for my life, at my time, I'm choosing this because this is what I need so I can develop spiritual maturity in my life. Rabbi Zacharias kind of opened my mind to this a long time ago when he said, listen, he goes, truth, God's truth is not bound by time and space. So it's, if it's true, it's true in any culture, in any country, in any generation. It was true 1,000 B.C. It's true 2,000 A.D. That's God's truth. Convictions, then, are bound by space and time. They're present day in our culture. And we look at our situation, we look at our circumstances, and say, listen, I mean, here's God's truth, but, you know, here's how I'm going to live because this is what I need. But what we do often in church is we reverse the two. We make our convictions the truth, and we judge people by our convictions rather than looking at God's truth, period. Wisdom is the ability to use knowledge correctly. Now, I made this little formula up, and here's how it goes. It says right knowledge, that's biblical truth. I'm got, you know, I should just call it God's truth because as soon as I say biblical truth, we get all messed up because we interpret the Bible and we twist it the way we want, and that's not good either. Right knowledge with right understanding. You know, there's a lot of smart people that don't know how to make it practical. With right application equals spiritual growth. 
right knowledge. You have to know where to go and who to talk to. James says you need it. Ask God. He will give it with no partiality. Right understanding, you have to make sense of the facts. You got to make sense. We, we call this our perceptions. You got to be able to take that knowledge and move it down to a place that makes sense of those facts in the midst of the day in which we live. Right application then is taking what you know and what you understand and beginning to do it. It's what we call praxis, the head, the heart, the hands. Now, James would add the tongue. (laughs) That's part of beginning to do it. You have to understand what God says. You got to make sense out of it. Then you have to practice it. And that equals spiritual maturity. Effectively discovering the right truth and applying it to everyday circumstances. That's what wisdom is. Now, let's be honest for a moment. I think there's many of us in the church in America that have right knowledge. We even have a right understanding. But it's not moved into our lives. Now, let me give an illustration because it's often used in Scripture. Let's just talk about money and see how this plays out. Biblical truth says we are stewards, we're not owners. It's all God's, amen? When we, and we're taught to be generous, and when we have debt, here's our logic. We say, I need more money. That's a fact. Because you're spending more than you have. And you say, if I had more money, I could pay more bills, which is true. But that's not wisdom. See, wisdom says, unless you're wise in your expenditures, unless you do the right thing with what you already have, What you need is not more money. What you need is wisdom to handle the money you already have. See how wisdom works? When they do surveys across the church in America, which we are the wealthiest nation in the world, uh, I think this past year, the average Christian gave about 2.8% of their income to charitable work. Now, if you sit there and say, well, I do 10%, I mean, don't sound too puffed up because that's an Old Testament practice. And God says, if I've been generous with you, you can do far more than you've ever dreamed of. See, our perspective is we look around and we start comparing ourselves with others about what they have and what we don't have. And as soon as you start saying things like this, well, I deserve, or I'm entitled, or I'm worth it. <laughs> How you like that one? This is not wise perspective. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, I don't want to hear the rest of this sermon. (laughs) Let me expand upon this. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. It's funny, whenever the pastor starts talking about money, people say, stop messing in my life. I'm not the one messing with it. God messes with it. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says this. Verse 15, look carefully. Look carefully then how you walk. Walk deals with a lifestyle. That's what that phrase means. Not as unwise, but as wise. And here's what Paul says. We need a plan, okay? If you're going to be wise, if you're going to be careful, the word careful means you got to lay out a strategy. Got to lay out a strategy for your lifestyle. And if you want to be wise, you got to have a plan, If you're going to have a plan with money, we call it a budget. 
How am I going to spend? And of course, spending, you have to look at your income coming in and adjust your spending accordingly. If you're going to save it, which is more difficult for people. I know when Bev and I were in what's called subsistence living, we made about half of what people made on welfare. Uh, We really couldn't save much. See, saving is often driven by two desires. You know what that is? One is fear. I'm afraid I will not have enough someday. Or two, it's driven by what I call play. I want money so I can spend on myself, and I want to play my way to Jesus. Of course, the plan involves giving it. Often we find reasons not to. But the first thing on the list is not... The last thing on the list, God's heart in the Old Testament talks about the principle of first fruits. See, this is biblical wisdom. God says, listen, give me first and I'll take care of the rest. But we flip it around in America and say, listen, I'm going to look at all my expense. I'm going to look at all my savings. And then at the end, God, I'm going to give you what's left over. See what I mean? Say we have this biblical knowledge. We have understanding. But we fail wisely to put it into our lives. Verse 16, make the best use of the time. You could say this, the time that you're here, because there's going to be a time that you face Jesus. And then we're not time-bound creatures, we're eternal-bound creatures, which that messes with our heads because we can't even comprehend that. Just know this, that all of us are young in terms of eternity. We're just little babies. Because the days are evil. Evil are things that will take away your life. Therefore, do not be foolish. Don't be unwise. The word foolish here means the intellect of a two or three-year-old. You know, they think very differently than us. Last night when our grandkids, they were staying with us and our youngest, it was last night or it was this morning and the youngest sailor was going up the steps and she looks down on me and, and uh, she goes, Pappy, she goes, where's your hair? A two-year-old's allowed to ask that, not a 20-year-old, okay? So don't ask that in the way out. But Paul is simply saying, you know what? A lot of people haven't passed that, that intellect of a two-year-old. But understand what the will of the Lord is. I love that last phrase because everyone wants to know what God wants them to do. Here's what wisdom says, okay? Wisdom says, do what you already know you should be doing if you want God to direct your life and things that you are asking him for. Okay? Do I need to say that again? Let me say it this way. God will not lead you in his unrevealed will until he knows that you're doing something with his revealed will. Very powerful verse that we often ignore because we don't like it. And then I've been using the illustration of money because that's one of our idols in our country. In Luke 16, verse 11, it says, if then you've been not faithful in the unrighteous wealth, that's our stuff, okay? Who will entrust to you true riches? He says, listen, if you can't get something as simple as your stuff in order, why should I ever give you this really deep, wonderful, truly rich spiritual stuff? God will not lead you in his unrevealed will until he knows that you are doing something with his revealed will. Let me suggest this by way of response. 
The first is we need to learn to ask honest and smart questions. I know when I was going through school and doing a bunch of things, people would always say, there's no such thing as a dumb question. I got news for you. There are dumb questions. Okay. I disagree with that person. I know what they're saying. It's how we speak to an audience because we don't make them feel bad. Ran across a story of two teenagers and they're sharing information about themselves. And one said, you know, I was born at home. I wasn't born in the hospital. And, and their friend was just in utter shock that somebody was actually born in this generation in a house. And the other person in disbelief said, was your mom there too? <laughs> okay, that's a dumb question. <laughs> Ask honest and smart questions. Ask them from your heart. Ask them from your head. We use the word authentic today. Be authentic. I got news for you. Before you ever ask the question, God already knows. He already knows. I love it when we try to hide things. That's not wise because the truth, biblical truth, God already knows. So why do we try to cover up and hide? Hide. I mean, why do we do the Adam and Eve thing when God shows up in the garden and then we start blaming everyone and our circumstances and everybody else? And you know, the question, where are you? Isn't the question of proximity in place. It was a question of where are you with me right now? What happened? Secondly, learn to wrestle with God. If you ever read the book Habakkuk, uh, unless you're from another place and want to call it Habakkuk, that's fine. I call it Habakkuk. Wrestling with God was key to his personality. In fact, his name means to wrestle and to embrace. And what Habakkuk was wrestling with is what God was saying. See, Israel was not where they should be. In fact, they were a long way off from where they should have been. They weren't wise. They were being foolish. They didn't take what they know about God and apply it to their lives. And so God was saying, listen, Habakkuk, uh, I want you to talk to the people because I'm going to use an evil nation by the name of Babylon to discipline them and bring them back to me. And Habakkuk saying, uh, God, I don't quite get that. Doesn't make sense. You're going to use a nation kind of worse off than we are. And, you know, God kind of says, well, listen, you're my people. And Babylon will get there someday. Don't worry about it. I mean, he actually says that, and I forget what chapter it is. He says, listen, they're going to get there someday. But here's what we do with all this. We say, God, you know, it doesn't make sense to us. And when it doesn't make sense to us, we kind of go down the path of foolishness instead of wisdom. I love in Habakkuk, because he's arguing with God the whole way down through, but then he says this in the back of chapter 2, verse 20. And look at the first phrase. Read it with me. But the Lord, oh, he's in his holy temple. Back it says, listen, God, I don't get it. But guess what? You are in your holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before you. My third response then is we've got to listen to God. Now, by listen, I mean just do it, okay? How many times have parents said to their kids, 
Why weren't you listening to me? And what that means is they spoke, they didn't do. So it's just not, yeah, I heard you. It's, no, why didn't you do what you heard me say? We often lose wisdom in the application phase. We often say, I know, but... And as soon as you say, but, you realize you're going to head down a path of foolishness. You know, we live in a country that thinks and feels it does not need to follow God's wisdom. That is our present state of America. What is worse is that there's followers of Jesus, the church, where they do not think or feel they need to follow God's wisdom. Tim Keller spoke on this. Richard Foster back in 1980 spoke on this. I think he's probably more prophetic because he saw where we're headed. Tim Keller kind of laid it out. He says, listen, in, in, the, in the church today, okay, in our world, there are three main idols. It's power, it's money, and it's sex. And until we learn to wisely navigate those things, I mean, we're going to have situations that we had this past week and even this past six months where two major, very influential megachurch pastors were asked to step down because they were not wise with power and money and sex. And I witness compromise in these three areas all the time. People say, but you know, does it really, can I? Faith has to be aligned with works. Oswald Chambers said, faith is deliberate confidence in the character of God whose ways you may not understand at the time. Let me say that again because that's so important. Faith is deliberate confidence in the character of God, which means deliberate confidence. You actually live it out whose ways you may not understand at the time. Three teenagers, they faced a fiery death. And here's what they told King Nebuchadnezzar. We believe our God can deliver us. It's a true statement. Number two, they said, we believe our God will deliver us. They had confidence that he would. But then they said this, and this is what confuses us. But even if he chooses not to, we still believe. They were willing to die instead of taking a mulligan and asking God for forgiveness later. That's what we often do. God, I don't want to choose joy this week. I'll choose it next week, and I'll ask for forgiveness for not choosing it this week. So James says, and we'll continue this next week, get wisdom, get insight, put it into action. I'm going to invite the worship team up. We're going to sing a song in closing that has a really simple message. But before we do that, I want to pray for us. Father God, You tell us to ask for wisdom, so we're asking for it. As your people, as your church, as we navigate where you've placed us in Roarstown and Lancaster and Lancaster County in America, we need your wisdom to know how we should display your glory. We need your wisdom to know how we should live with awe and reverence and respect. We need your wisdom to know what to say, what not to say. We need your wisdom when to speak, when not to speak. We need your wisdom every single day. Help us not to say but. 
But help us say, yes, I will. Help us to keep you at the center. We pray these things in your son's name because you alone and he alone is worthy. And everyone said, amen. Let's stand as we worship.